One more time, we're feeling. Alex reminded us it was indeed pullover. It's the 2023 IndyCar season review on Motorsport 101. No, really, it really was pullover before it had barely even begun. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 476 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbor and host, Dre Harrison, and this is a special edition of Motorsport 101. It is our IndyCar season review special. I know you guys have had to wait a couple of weeks for this one. Very patient of you as ever. Thank you very much for that. But uh, we now have an absolutely loaded IndyCar season review to get through. A very intriguing season, despite looking at the big, blue, sometimes occasionally painted green elephant in the room that that was a certain dominant champion, which we'll get to, of course, towards the end of the show. But glad you could join us uh, for this one. We haven't got a special panel as well, because sadly, we've had to uh, deem one Mr. Cameron Buckley a COVID-related scratch. Uh, we do wish him the very best. He, uh, yeah, I know he's, he's, he's soldiering on as ever, and I know he'll be listening to this. So uh, get well soon, Cam. We love you. Um, but we've called in the super sub. You know him. You love him. And he very jokingly called himself Motorsport 101's Trevor Simeon before we started oh, recording. His words, not mine. It's Ryan Eric King, everybody. Hello, King. How's it going? <laughs> Hello. I, I'm, I'm glad that I, I am here. Uh, I think more appropriately, I am I am the show's Zach Wilson, because I'm here until uh, Aaron Rodgers is back up and running. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said about Cam publicly. Uh, which, which <laughs> I'm pretty is- sure Cam would not want to be called Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Well, to be fair, maybe 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 for, maybe for quarterback ability, maybe, but maybe not for the other stuff. Yeah. Now, now I think about it. Um, yeah, Cam's gonna kill you after this episode goes out. So, so congrats on that one. I was gonna say as well, because we talk football on this show, and of course we we come off Monday Night Football. That was a bit of a nail biter against the Chiefs, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually had a cheeky £10 bet on the Jets plus nine and a half, and I actually hit that, so I was actually quite happy with myself on that one. <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't want to sound like the stereotypical sports fan, but, oh, man, the referees, man. <laughs> <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. We got ref ball going on in the background. We got Travis Kelsey, maybe, maybe not dating Taylor Swift. They're becoming the heels of pro sports. I love it. I think it's fascinating. All I'm going to say is between last week and this week, the viewership for Kansas City Chiefs games, uh, for for Kansas City Chiefs games have gone down by 4 million. So that's that's all I'm going to say. People hopped on the wagon to find out about Travis Kelsey in the NFL, and they immediately decided to hop right back off again. It's brilliant. It's like F1, a draft to survive. It's fantastic. Um, also joining us on, on this week's show, see, topical joke there, um, is Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hi, everyone. Yes, of course, we're here uh, on this podcast to talk about a sport that's been part of the American fabric uh, for, for about a century, if not longer, uh, is still very good, but because of a catastrophic uh, uh, event of mutual incompetence in the mid-90s, uh, it is no longer the uh, the mainstream sporting spectacle that it once was. 
and of course, I'm talking about the Major League Baseball postseason, where I'm expecting my beloved Atlanta Braves to win the World Series in three games. I'm actually not. With the amount of offense that we posted, I am either expecting this to be our second World Series in three years, or a a collapse on the caliber of the 2022-23 Boston Bruins season. (laughs) Now, all I'm going to say is the National League needs to pick up the slack. There's no reason why the Yankees should have a winning season and not be in the postseason. Right, right. (laughs) Like, this is true. Also, I can't relate to that with with my beloved 100 win Dodgers. There's a good chance that the NLTS is... The NL Championship game is going to be between my Dodgers and his Braves. So that's going to be very interesting because we've got four 100 RBI men on our own roster as well. So it's going to be a very, very fun uh, baseball playoff season. Me and RJ are going to be strangling each other by the end of October. It's going to be Every, Everybody in the American League is just like, chill. <laughs> yeah. We're just vibing while the Braves and the, 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 the Dodgers inevitably beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> Before, or, or, we inev- or either one of us inevitably gets skunked by the Phillies again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is also a very real possibility because we have no pitching, none, none whatsoever. It's all it's it's, it's scraps and my noodle arm. That's the entire dude. dude all they all my team has got is Spencer Strider on his good days, Matt's Freed, and vibes. <laughs> It's going to be a fun series. I can't wait for us to win 11-4, 11-19 or something stupid scoreline in like game one or whatever. Right. Enough about the rest of all the American sports. We're going to get into the IndyCar season review. So what we're going to do here is that we're going to go team by team as ever. We're going to roughly go in what we think is worst overall quality to best. So you can probably guess who's coming up first. AJ Foyt. Yes, I'm looking in your direction. Um, so we'll get to that very, very shortly. We're going to have a general stat rundown and all the drivers, some of the key moments of, of, of their seasons, where the future's heading in some cases. It's going to be a general vibey, vibersons kind of podcast here, but with a small amount of structure. And we got King. That's that's always that's always a plus, because it'll add some structure just by being here. So we'll get into that very, very shortly. Places you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube. Of course, we're on uh, motorsport101.com. If you want to hear my solo thoughts on everything IndyCar related, there is a massive three-part season review that I may or may not have written in the meantime. You can check that out if you haven't already. As well as some extra thoughts on MotoGP at Mategi this past weekend. We didn't quite deem it to be podcast worthy because we only really got half a race. Kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird sense of controversy because, uh, well, it got rained off basically. Nah. Thunderstorm came this down. This is a Manuelli Piro erasure. <laughs> Michaeli Piro led a MotoGP race on pace alone. I was like, you know what? Ten out of ten. This is a race of the year right here. <laughs> We, we, we can't address this. It's too perfect. Dude, um, it would have been even better if Emmanuel Apiro had come out of retirement to ride that bike. <laughs> close, close, King. You, 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 you were almost there. Um, okay. But, but uh, we didn't quite deem it to be podcast-worthy, so forgive us for not on that one. But a 12-lap race, not a lot of extracurricular news. Jorge Martin dominates both the race and the sprint. Not an awful lot to work with on that one. So we'll be back for more MotoGP action coming up next week after the Indonesia round. So uh, 
who knows? We might have to call out the Rain Shaman again. We'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes down. But uh, again, if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our shows. Ten bucks gets you in the supporters club of our Discord server. We can listen to these episodes live as they are being recorded and of course you can follow us all over on social media as well we're on twitter twitter.com forward or x.com i suppose whichever elon's fucking calling it these days uh our, our personal address is at dre underscore wtf1 at rj o'connell at ryan eric king uh, and of course the podcast itself motorsport underscore 101 or on instagram as well motorsport 101 pod Right, social media and the uh, the other stuff out of the way. Let's get into our IndyCar season review. And first up is AJ Foyt. <laughs> oh boy, this everybody's new fun favorite team, right, guys? Right. Um, no? it's, it's Santino Ferrucci and Benjamin Peterson. Uh, not a lot of hope outside of the 500, the other super speedway race at Texas. And also randomly, you remember when both cars qualified in the top 12 at Road America and Benjamin Peterson qualified 10th? I yeah, that was he forgot that happened. <laughs> yeah, you may have forgotten about it because the results didn't pan out like this, but this was the these were the only times that AJ Foyt Racing looked good at all any season like <sighs> He almost stole that 500 one out from under our nose, but he was by far the better driver this season. So naturally, he's the one that is at risk of being cut after one year. Benjamin Peterson has a long-term deal. I don't even know this dude sometimes because he'll turn out performances like qualifying at Indy. He's generally good at Texas, but then he'll aggravate a multi-car crash in St. Petersburg and get parked from Iowa for mm. running too slow. How many laps was he down again? Was it like uh, 50-something? Uh, way too many, and not running at competitive speed. I believe that's the first time that it happened since uh, Alacy and De Silvestro in the 2012 Indianapolis 500 with historically bad engines. Ooh. But, King, I'm sure we all know that if there's any intrigue about AJ Foyt racing, it's what's coming out of the pipeline next year. Uh, what is coming up next year? Cause a brand new alliance. Oh, <laughs> no. Penske, you've been charitable and said, hey, do you guys need some help? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Like, like what we get is we get we get to share our dampness settings with you or something, you know, just, just maybe that'll help. I mean, the dampers go a long way, I suppose, but I don't know if they're going to turn Benjamin Peterson into uh, the second coming of A.J. Foyt overnight. No, and it really just depends on what they do with that second car. I cannot believe I'm out here having to say that the best thing for you performance-wise is to keep Santino Ferrucci around for, <laughs> for another season. Man. Oh, yeah. this is what it's come to. But I, I just think, King, uh, you are, uh, in my opinion, even more of an open wheel historian than I am. Could you imagine going back 30 years into a time machine and saying, hey, once all this split's done, Roger Penske is going to share resources with A.J. Foyt? I would be... Number one, my first thought would be, man, things are bad at Foyt, which looking yeah things are pretty bad uh <laughs> two it feels like 
this is a constant thing with AJ Foyt. Like, this team has been this way for the better part of a decade now. Like, it is actually it's gotten worse over the over the yeah. last decade. Dude, I can remember when Takuma Sato was challenging for back-to-back wins in 2013. I remember when they did that big expansion in 2017. We were like, God, remember when we were so hyped for the Carlos Munoz and Connor Daly experience? And then they were both gone! And then they were both gone, and nobody has worked out long-term since. Sebastian Bourdais' final years got wasted at this team, man. Mm. Tony Kanon was, uh, you know, he, he tried. He couldn't get much out of it either. Um, they've had quality drivers. They've had promising younger drivers. They've had a summer in the middle, and none of it's worked out. And look, I, I begrudgingly, I have to agree with, with RJ on this one. Santino Ferrucci is far from the worst driver in the field this year, which is about as kind as I'll be about him. There were guys with slabs of results that were a lot worse than Ferrucci's. Um, he's not bottom of the barrel. He's the best they've got right now, and they probably need to find a way to keep him because I'm not sure who you're going to get who's better, especially around ovals, because give the ramen head his due. He was fantastic at the 500. He was like, there's no getting around it. He was six. He was brilliant. He, he, he was genuinely on the podium. He got a very fortunate call in the pit lane. I think Townsend Bell must have slipped race control of a, a few Benjamins um, to, to help on that one. Um, but there's no getting around it. The promise of what Ferrucci could be is still there. It's just, he's probably not in the right environment for it. And. It's seeming, it seems to me that the funding isn't as secure as what I thought it was going to be because it looks like Peterson staying for next year and Ferrucci is, might not be, which is funny how these things turn out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it, there's not an awful lot of positive stuff to take away from this team as ever. Like Benjamin Peterson had a couple of flashes, but overall was pretty horrible. Um, average finish of 23 and a half grim um to say the least um but overall it's just not a very promising team again and they're still i think for me pound for pound the worst team in the sport right now um everybody else has at least got something i would hang my hat on and uh Foyt just isn't it at the moment unfortunately and yeah <sighs> Maybe Peterson puts something together next year where he takes a step forward, but I'm. I'm are you? Is anybody else here holding out any sort of hope here? Because I'm not. <laughs> I've been waiting for this team to take a step forward, but Dre, uh, at least we know that AJ Foyt Racing came in with very, very low expectations. Uh, we expected better from these next dudes. Mayor Shank. Mayor, like, where, where did this all go wrong? I, 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 it's, it, it makes me very, very sad. I mean, we'll break, I'll break down some of the stats real quick. Kenny Okashinevers was 18th overall in the standings this year. Cracked the top 10 once. Only made the second round of qualifying once. Average was 17. And that's not even the real tragic story of this team this year. The other one was Simon Pagano, who even before the horrible accident in mid-Ohio that ended his time with the team, not that we knew it at the time. He was running, I think, something like 25th in the points. It was it, His season was a complete disaster. I, I didn't even notice how bad it had gotten until Detroit. 
and I was I remember writing my race review for it on the website and looking at the championship standings as a reference point. And I was scrolling down and I was like, where's Simon Pagano? And I'm going down and down and I'm like, what the fuck is he doing down there? Um, so just like, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. And then the injury happened at Mid-Ohio and, well... They've, they've had to blow this team up and essentially start over for next year. But, like, can you guys put any fingers on this? Like, how did this all go so wrong so fast? Oh, goodness. I... They still get technical support from Andretti Autosport, and we know they've taken a step back, but they surely haven't taken a step that far back. With Elio, I always knew that, like, the the cliff was going to come. Let's borrow, like, a phrase from uh, from Matt's Kellerman. But, you know, the second go-around, I was never expecting that to parlay into a championship. And, you know, he looked like an IndyCar driver in his late 40s coming back after years of layoff of full-time racing uh, in these kinds of cars. Uh to me, he's the greatest driver who never won a national title. But as anybody will tell you, those four Borg Warner trophies sitting in the uh, the trophy case, they'll ease the pain a bit. It, it will. I mean, we are talking about a man who is nearly 50 years of age. <laughs> like, it's with, with Helio, that, that was kind of expected to a degree. And he still has ran a couple of decent 500s in his late 40s. One of them very decent. Um, even last yeah. year, he finished seventh, which is yeah. still a, an excellent result by all accounts yeah. for a small what happened team. To the, what happened to the 500 death lineup, though? What happened to Simon Pagino? Because pre-injury... Gordon Racing Reference, he was only in the top 20 in points once all season, and that was after the Barber Motorsports Park. The entire team combined to lead zero laps on the season. Am I reading this right? Not a single racing lap. <sighs> Yikes. Uh. Um, it's, 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 it's very sad with, with Simon, and yeah. I know Simon has not been as good as he was post-Universal Aero Kit. That's pretty clear. He was He's not been, you know, that guy where he could win anything. It's strange because, like, people say, like, he's not that same driver, but remember, he he did the he did the month of May double in 2019. That was Universal Aero Kit era. So people like to pin it on the fact that, oh, he's not as good with the Aero screen on. I'm like, I'm not I, sure I how that would make you slower. I mean, they, they pin it on Alexander Rossi like that, but it's, it's a thing that everybody has to adjust to. I know Simon prefers high downforce cars, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, like, if Simon Pagano is healthy to come back to race at any time in the near future, he still has value to an IndyCar team up and down that paddock. And we just don't know how that's going to be in the future because, um, and, and like Simon did open up in a bit more detail towards the end of this season about that, and he he said he said himself in his own words he's he's still struggling or lingering with you know, post post concussion syndrome symptoms. Um, I wonder. This is, this is me spitballing. I wonder how much of it if it is similar to Kyle Busch because that same weekend was when oh sorry Kurt I should say my apologies yeah. Kurt Busch, Kyle is still kicking. Car still kicking, bless him, hanging in the in dear life in the in the in the, in the chase for the cup. But uh, no, with with Kurt, I'm, he 
opened up with the athletic himself saying it was the balance that, that never got him cleared he could never regain his balance in a race car and that's why he was never medically cleared to return to competition that's what did it he's ne- he still hasn't got his balance back after the concussion that he suffered in kansas last year so um i wonder if it's something to do with that but again that's that's purely me spitballing like you know I, I do not know exactly what simon's condition is like but it's just it's just sad generally speaking i don't it's not the way that anybody would want simon's time at Maya shank to finish up um you know he was a very important member of that team he was a he was an anchor piece for that team and to go you know, to guide him in a new direction after they moved on from Jack Harvey and expanded more on him later. But, um, I mean, King, what, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you for this one real quick. What do you think happens now? Because they've, they've rebuilt. They're going to have Felix Rosenquist and Tom Blomqvist next year. It's team twig, baby. Team twig. <laughs> team twig. I mean, how do you feel about that as a lineup for next season? Uh, it's it's a good long term lineup. If if they know they're gonna be at this for the next three to five years, I hope so. <laughs> and things are looking super competitive at at the front of the IndyCar field because mm. outside of the leading what four teams, uh, you know, uh, Penske, Ganassi. Andretti and McLaren, it is extremely difficult to get a top five finish. That like, absolutely, you can count the number of drivers outside those four teams that got top five on one hand. It's really only one or two people. The uh, you know, the, you know, a couple of them. One of them is coming up next. Um, yeah, I like Felix. I'm not sure I'd have him as my number one driver in a team. It's so crazy. Like, not even long ago, we were just, we were talking about like, oh, these F1 teams are hiring the wrong Swedish driver. We're all certain that like Felix Rosenquist is going to have a better career in IndyCar than Marcus Ericsson when they arrived at the same time. And now look Mm. how things turned out. Uh, Tom Blomquist, um, I can write off this handful of starts. He crashed out of two of these races and had a tough 24th place in the other. It's a long-term thing. I'm encouraged what he achieved in sports cars. He does have a single-seater pedigree. I hope this works out. And I hope this works out for MSR because if you hadn't heard, today as we're recording this, MSR is pausing its IMSA program because they lost the Acura factory support deal. And I'll tell you, it wasn't all down to TPMS Ghazi. <laughs> well, with Andretti buddying up with, with Wayne Taylor, there was always going to be, you know, dialogue about where Acura was going to, you know, put their chips down and they've chosen the proven winners of WTR. That makes sense, you know, especially with yeah. Andretti now buddying up with them and, well... And, they, know, and, they voiced cons- and they've voiced a desire to take that car to the World Endurance Championship and for... Sorry, for HPD. Sorry, Honda Racing Corporation USA. <clears throat> That's a big yeah. ticket. Mm-hmm. Understandable, proven pedigree, and you know, let's be frank, Daytona did not help. You know, like you know, I'm not. I don't think it was the sole reason, but yeah. it certainly and, probably you know, was a factor. <laughs> it should be noted that Honda was the one who reported the issue to IMSA, and mm-hmm. if a disqualification did happen, the Wayne Taylor car would have won the race. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's 
it is what it is. Uh, you know, they're going to focus all their all their all their resources towards this IndyCar team. Phoenix has got a lot of upside on a good day. You know, I think he could be a decent. Like best case scenario, he could be a top ten guy to spearhead this team. Yeah, not sure if, that, if that's going to happen because he he was given every chance at McLaren and it just didn't quite work out. And, and I'll tell you, like he was quick at times. Like when he was racing for his literal job, he was never better at McLaren. I remember when we watched the five hundred together on the day of the race. I thought Felix was going to win. I thought Felix was the most consistently fast driver of the 500 this season. Uh, and it was going really well at three-quarter distance. Until it wasn't. Yeah. <sighs> it was just like, oh, He was running third. He was third. He was right there with the leading pair. And I thought, this might be Felix's year. Nope. But I, I think in a in a team dynamic with a rookie like Blomquist, it's good to have a veteran like Rosenquist to, mm. to lend his experience and try to develop Blomquist as quickly as possible. Also, one of Felix's strengths over the years have been on the street circuits, which is a really important part of IndyCar's calendar nowadays. Yeah, I had a couple of those this season, at least. You know, like, it was was second at um, Portland. It was, you know, was it on the, was he on, on the, I think he was on the podium at Detroit as well. Was that third? Yeah, he has a podium at Detroit. I yes. Think. Uh, yeah, third. I think the year before, like, when he crashed out at Detroit a couple of years ago, his first year at McLaren, he was leading the race. Don't remind me. Because <laughs> oh. Phoenix is a very easy guy to root for. He's an incredibly likable person. If you've ever seen his bromance with Pado Award, it was a beautiful thing. Like two, like literally like two young children, despite the average age being nearly 30. Um, but, um, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was very cute. Um, he'll be a very easy guy to work with, I'm sure. And yeah, like the upside of Phoenix has always been there. I just hope he's able to harness that on a more frequent basis because there is a promising there's a promising team here there, there really is and we know what mayor shank can do with, with in, in the right hands we saw jack harvey excel with this team and you know get on the podium and challenge for wins genuinely so the upside's always been there it's I just again marcus hope they can put it all together how did it all go so wrong with that trade um let's talk about uh, an organization uh uh, in Illinois that is floundering on all cylinders. No, not the Chicago Bears. I'm talking about Dale Point Racing. <laughs> and, and okay, okay, Dale Point Racing isn't floundering on all cylinders. They had David Malukas, who had another very strong season, performed above par for most Dale Point Racing drivers. And then you have Stingray Rob, who in his rookie season was a real throwback to the days where they might as well have just left some entries as TBD instead of some of the options that they picked. But Malukas has gone next year to McLaren. What the hell does Dale Point Racing do? Yeah, they're they're pretty much back to square one. <laughs> I'll put it's... it to you this way: uh, Roman Grosjean already has a Lamborghini factory deal. If you don't make him an offer uh, competitive to that, if Roman Grosjean just dips w without like a counter offer, you're not a serious team in 2024. Because I've looked at some of the other options you have available. Uh, they're not. It ain't much. <laughs> there ain't much this year. No, like 
surely you bring back Grosjean. Surely. Like, like, open your checkbook, Dale. It, it's Grosjean was the best thing that happened to you since Alex Pelot. It's like, bring him back. He's a good driver. I think he just needs some love more than... I think he needs a hug, a deep... You know, one of those big hearty hugs where you go, you know, full arms underneath and go, listen, son. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Michael wasn't the nicest to you. But we know that there is a good man, a likable man, and a great racing driver here. Like bring bring Grosjean home. He he needs Uncle Dale to look after him again. Like who says no here? Like who says no? This is a great deal like, for all parties. I like it, and I can talk. And like I, I'll be upfront with you, and I'll say that like after Barber Motorsports Park last year was a colossal disappointment, but. I saw what he could do in those cars two years ago. He would have been rookie of the year had he not missed all those races. Voluntarily, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, Stingray Rob, um, to his credit, didn't crash at all the time. I think anytime he was in trouble, either the car broke down or they released it without a wheel, but it was not was very quick either. He wasn't a big crasher. The the two that stick out to me was Detroit, where he went off the road a couple of times. But to be fair, he was hardly alone on that one. And Indy Race One, that was that was. Remember when he goes over the apex on Turn Seven, over the curb, and takes out Malukas? I'm just like, oh, what have you done, Stingray? Oh, brother. Oh, that was a that was a horrible one. Um, look, he was the worst qualifier in the field. He didn't make it out of round one once all year. Um, his average finish was the second lowest in the field of all the full-timers, 22.2. He was yeah. just just slow, unfortunately. But little secret, he's very, very well-funded. So there's a good chance he sticks around somewhere on the field next year, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, by the grace of God, and and in this case, his fat checks. Stingray Rob may still be around in 2024. Yay! Um, oh, and I'm just I'm just wondering when uh, when some publications are going to realize that no, Stingray is not his nickname. That's his name. That's his official name. No, that, because that, you can still that, find no, publications. There are still publications that still have him down as Ray Rob. <laughs> it's like. I'm not sure which which version of that name sounds more ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not like Sting makes it almost more subtle. Um, no, it's again. I, I I think it's a shame they've lost David Malukas, but that this this tends to be the pattern with Dale Coyne. If they get a really good driver in their lineup, they tend to go on to do better things. Alex Set Polo, them free, you know. Alex Polo, Ed Jones, Romain Grosjean the last three really solid drivers or better that they've had have all gone on to, you know, have careers in better teams again, for better or worse. Um, <laughs> how you look at it. And I mean, the fact that Malukas just came out like halfway through this, he was like, yeah, I'm out. Um, we're done here. Um, and then ended up at McLaren. Um, oof, that's going to be a fun lineup next year. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Malukas didn't really prove anything this year that I didn't already think about him last year. Um, but he's just good. He's just a really fast, really promising talent who I actually am very curious to see how he gets on in better machinery. Um, well, better resourced machinery, I suppose, yeah. around 
stronger drivers because he's got oval promise as well and mclaren's a very good oval team generally speaking so that's going to be very interesting um i'm really looking forward to it this is the shit posting driver who will not let you down massively unlike some former indy car back markers who interestingly enough raced for this team a couple of years ago you probably have already forgotten that that happened that cody yeah. Ware raced in indy car for like a cup of coffee and was quickly out the door um is it i know it's just their second year back but for me on a performance wise on a performance, am I right to feel disappointed that I didn't see more out of Junko's Hollinger racing than what we did? A little bit. I mean, it's it's interesting because I mean, if recent IndyCar history is anything to go by, teams that are fresh into an expansion tend to struggle a bit, at least in the first year, and Junko's Hollinger kind of fell into that a little bit. It was. I expected a little bit more out of Callum, is what I would say. I think if you read between the lines, I think Callum Ida was actually a little bit better than I think some people made out, especially on ovals, personally. Yeah. Um, I don't think 16th in the standings does Callum justice. Um, but it's kind of hard to talk about Junkos and ignore the elephant in the room, and that was how their season ended. Oh boy, this was a hot mess. Cal Myla and Augustine Canapino are battling for position. Also, Canapino's fighting to get that 78 car into the leader circle cutoff range and guarantee him that car 1.4 million US dollars. They collide in a shitty racing incident. Canapino's race gets wrecked. Iwat goes in with top five. Canapino does get in the leader circle. Uh, after the race, just like when the two came in together at Long Beach, a lot of Canapino's fans were really mad at Callum Iola to the point that Callum's had to lock all his social media accounts, though he is going to be at the Indy 8 hour driving a Porsche. Um, I I don't like a, a, the way that this is being talked about from a lot of angles. I really don't. It's ugly. Um I actually it's, it's the worst of what F1 race weekends have become in this modern social media age. Yeah, and I, I actually spoke to a couple of motorsport fans who follow me from Argentina. I, I went, you know, I wanted to try and get some some nuance behind some of these comments and, and dialogues. It is unfortunately kind of what you might suspect. A lot of it is general Argentine bitterness towards anyone English. You can probably understand and guess why. I get I get that a lot of people want to be Leopoldo Galtieri, who was leading the Falklands War. I'm just saying too many people in response want to be Margaret Thatcher. They're painting Definitely. a lot they, they're painting they're painting a lot of people, including Canapino, and like yeah, Ricardo Yunkos has handled this very poorly by all standards. He needs better PR people around him, but mm -hmm. like the comments that a lot of people made remind me a lot of the comments that Helmut Marco made about Sergio Perez saying that he's just like this because he's South American. And right. I mean, that's bullshit. No, that's nonsense. And like, we shouldn't be leaning into that stereotype. Well, we, 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 I think we do need to make a distinction that uh, obviously we should be asking for better standards from, you know, team personnel and drivers. 
But once you cross that line into what fans are doing, we can try to encourage people on social media to be better. But there's really like there is a limit to what we can do. Indeed, that's the un- just, just the unfortunate nature of fan culture in what I've often called the footballization of motorsport discourse. Yeah. Um, yeah, that it, it's and when you throw in national pride into that, when the, when the two teammates are Argentinian and English, um, you know, in a war that thousands of people died in. Exactly, it's it. it there's gonna that be happened after both drive well after both drive well before both drivers were even born. Anyway, like that's gonna stop people. Unfortunately, that, like, <sighs> you know, in Argentina, like the Falklands War is one of those moments in in their country's history where uh, everyone has knows someone that was involved or died in the conflict. Dude, it's crazy that that country doesn't get down this bad for uh, for Jose Maria Lopez. <laughs> yeah, and he might be out of a job next year at Toyota, or at least out of the really good job that he had. But no, I I don't like the way this is being talked about from a lot of angles. I'm like, yes, bullying is wrong, but like you can do better than to just sound like the kind of like jingoistic assholes that we try to condemn in this sport. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's a messy one, and look, I don't like. I think the only completely innocent party in this is Callum, unfortunately. Yeah. And and Canapino did not help by liking tweets implying that it was Callum's fault when it was clearly his. Um, he locked up under braking. He lost control of his car going into turn one, and he hit Callum Eilat's car, who left him plenty of room on the inside of the racetrack. Um, it was a racing incident that, unfortunately, you'd probably pin more of the blame on Canapino. Canapino has, has not helped the situation by liking tweets. Ricardo Junkos poured gasoline on the fire when he went back to Argentina and then made a bunch of kind of unnecessary comments about the fact that he, he kind of implied that he may have fed him, may, may have fed half the garage a team order, which is explicitly not allowed in IndyCar. He had to walk that back a couple of weeks later um, as well. I mean, it's not allowed, but over a million dollars are on the line here. Yeah, I mean, what yeah, find, he, yeah. Not, expli- not explicitly allowed. Yeah, it's it's in the rule book. You can't do it. But let's be honest, if there was one point four million bucks at stake, you'll take your chances. Um, you know, they I could understand how Junkos handled the situation, but I also disagree with how he handled the situation <laughs> because it ended up just spinning more vitriol towards Canamilo, who received death threats. Uh, and that's the reason why he locked his account in the first place, because there were Argentinian people that were threatening to kill him when he was at no fault whatsoever for what had happened. And that is horrible. And ultimately, as a team, you've got to take some degree of accountability for that, especially when you're writing very wishy-washy statements on Twitter saying, hey, guys, let's not get too angry about this. No, you need to be telling your fans in Argentina, in tweet in Portuguese, tell them to calm the fuck Spanish. down. Spanish, sorry, one country. My, my, my yeah, you've, you've already done that mistake that IndyCar did to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month on social media. My one, my one was by accident. I, I, I promise. Like, they should know better. Um, no, like, forgive me on that one, but you, you get the gist. You're a, multi, you're a diverse team. You're a multicultural team. You should kind of see where the fire's coming from. It ain't coming from the English side. Uh, I'll tell you that much. Um, it's it, it's unfortunate. It's with promise. Like they just signed a new strategic alliance with uh, with Aaron McLaren just today. 
it's not going to be technical resources that we know of, but like, it also makes me think this is not the work of a boss who, who clearly hates one of his drivers that they're going to give him resources and access to a better team. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's unfortunate, um, all of it, because it's kind of tainted what was actually a, 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 a good season for Junkos. I mean, look, you've expanded to two cars. You've got both cars in the leader's circle. That's the bare minimum. That's yeah. mission accomplished. I guess That's- I expected more when you consider, like, the amount of resources that Brad Hollinger has dumped into the team, and it wasn't all terrible. Like, Augustine Canapino performed about on par for a driver in his mid-30s who is going straight out Turismo Carretera and into single-seaters for the first time. Scott McLaughlin was, you know, exceptional in that regard, and Cal Milot did get his first top fives on the board. I guess I just expected more. Yeah. Given the resources involved, given their their lead driver is very good, and, like, this is what, this is what I'm getting to as well, because Cal Milot will be a big free agent name on the board next season. Yeah. Yeah. No he's doubt. Not, he's not going to believe because he works with a boss from hell. He's going to believe because he got high with talent and prospect. That's has been rumored for a move up for the last long while now. Two years, easy. Like there's been the big teams have all been keeping tabs on Kyle Milo, um, and he's in a contract year next year. He's in the there's a reason year. why people were bummed that he didn't get to F1. Yeah, he's a talented dude, and uh, if he has another good season, there'll be people lining up trying to bang his door down to sign him for next year. Unless that McLaren soft launch leads to something more. I think you can see where I'm going with that, can't you? Um, like It's like soft launching a new girlfriend on Instagram. It's like, we're just going to test things out for a bit. Is that what the kids are calling it nowadays? Yes, yes. <laughs> I've read newsletters. I know, I know how to get down. Yes, it's a soft launch. We'll see. We'll see what this strategic partnership ultimately entails. Because the rumors were going around for a while before this was announced that McLaren was looking for some kind of partner to maybe facilitate a fourth car. You know, so could be something more in that in the in a year or so's time. They're saying right now it's only for staff, really, or more more than anything else. All I'm going to say is. Staff means access. That means they're going to have people with eyes on information about what these drivers are doing at at Junko's Hollinger. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how that was, uh, how that that goes down uh, over the course of the next year and change. Next up on the list, Ed Carpenter. What the hell do we even talk about here? <laughs> um, this is a ghost town, not a, not a racing team. <sighs> I, like, I can remember when Joseph Newgarden won his first race and won several races mm-hmm. uh, with Ed Carpenter racing under various guises and different owners. And now it's just... I worry that Renus VK is going to get lost in the shuffle depending on how long he stays there. Because, like, there's clear... It's, it's, he's tough because he's clearly the best thing that Ed Carpenter Racing has, and they're not keen to get rid of him without a fight. But also, he's starting to stagnate, and that worries me. 14th overall in the championship this year. Only made the top 10 twice. Still qualified brilliantly at the 500, but kind of ruined it for himself when he speared Alex Polo in the pit lane. Still got back into the top 10, mind you. But his average finish on the year was f- exactly 14. 
Um, it's one of these things where it's like, we know Renus VK is better than this. And we've seen him be better than this. Where does the accountability of Ed Carpenter generally be in a pretty middle-of-the-road or lower middle-of-the-road team stop and Renus VK's maybe shortcoming start? I don't know. It's hard, to, it's hard to draw the line between that, but I, I love that when I wrote my season review and then we talked about it, RJ, we both had the exact same line of thinking. I felt like you forget RVK is only 23 years old. Yeah, that's the other thing too. He's a like, baby in IndyCar terms. He's, st- he's still got like he's still got time to like really sort this out, uh, you know, down the road. As long as you know he's still employed, at, like five or ten years down the road, good health willing. But it already feels like he's been overshadowed by the conveyor belt of talent that's gone in front of him since then. Christian Lungard, which we'll get to after the break, is probably the number one name on the board now for guys who are going to probably be getting some big money offers next year. Kanemailot, he's going to be a name that's going to be tapped up next year, no question. David Malukas already has jumped him in. Up. Yeah. <laughs> David Malukas already gone to a bigger name team. Yeah, you know, Linus Lundqvist got straight in at the highest floor um, <laughs> with Chip Ganassi racing. Hell, even Kiffin Simpson's going to get, you know, big boy training wheels to start next year. And then there's Renus, still here at Ed Carpenter. And I've looked through the list. Renus VK is comfortably the second best driver this team has ever had behind Joseph. Well, um, yeah. and like there's been some decent drivers in this unit, but Renus just kind of feels there. I mean, when you're 14th in the standings, you're almost smack dab in the middle. It's just like you just sort of hear Renus. Like you qualify brilliantly. You almost had the greatest 500 qualifying run ever. Couldn't capitalize on it again. You know, just not, the results are just not there. And again, I don't know where that stops with him and where the team starts, because if you look at the other half of the garage, oh boy. Uh, Connor Daly uh, was cut from the team when it seemed like he'd have a place there for life. Ryan Hunter Ray comes in. The results aren't necessarily there. He did do enough to get that car into the leader's circle. And also, Ryan Hunter Ray led all of Ed Carpenter Racing's laps. Eight of them. Yeah. <laughs> he, got, he got a clutch top ten to make sure they got in the leader's circle right at the end at Laguna Seca. <laughs> it's amazing how these things turn out. That was like the last of Ryan Hunter Ray's powers. <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 I have to go back on this because the eight laps that he led were in Dreyer and Reinbold racing equipment. Ed Carpenter did not lead a single lap across all three of its cars this season. Oh, so it was at the five. I remember it was at the 500 because he was off sequence towards the end. Oh, Lord of mercy. Oh, brother. Well, I guess well, the feeling is just like Ryan Hunter Ray was bringing good vibes to the team if if he did feel like a driver that had been out of, after a long layoff and they uh, declined before then. Yeah, he was <sighs> fine, but I don't think he's going to answer any of the questions that a Carpenter needs. The two ones that stick out to me are, if okay, if you need a veteran presence, then who? And the second question I've got to ask is, 
Is it time for Ed to defer control of his team to someone else? Because Ed's in charge. Ed feels like he's got to have a third car for himself for all these ovals, even though he's now in his mid-40s. Is it time to, to hand the keys over to someone else? That's a question. I think, I, I think that would involve just like selling a share of the team, and I'm not sure how much of that's going to entail. Like, if I, if I was proposed with an offer to sell up to the guys at BitNile, I would be like, ooh, I'm not so sure about that. Do you, do, you want to, do, you, do you want to sell to a crypto bro, knowing how, knowing how volatile dealing in that market can be? I, I, let me ask some Crawley Town supporters, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> oh, Jason in the chat asks, also, who's taking the second seat? Because I heard a rumor that Hunter Ray doesn't want it. That's what I've heard as well. Apparently, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a two-way fight between Oliver Askew potentially coming back and Christian Rasmussen, who won the Indy Next title this year. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not, look, Rasmussen is good. I don't think he's what Linus Lundqvist was last year. Yeah, Is like, that fair? Yeah, it, it really does feel like that, where Rasmussen has some money. Like, I, I hope he ends up with a seat next year, but it feels like... He's going to be the replacement level guy you plug in when you didn't get the person you wanted. Yeah, and look, Oliver Askew was okay in IndyCar when he was there. We know he, he, got, he got a raw deal. He did get a bit of a raw deal. I mean, he walked into a team that immediately had Pato Award in it. Not exactly what you call ideal circumstances. Um, because we all know Pato is... Pato is elite in this series but <sighs> Askew didn't blow anybody away when he was an IndyCar the first time round are we sure bringing him back after two years out is going to help that situation it's tough because the, the thing is if Ryan Hunter Ray is turning you down for one last ride buddy I don't know who else is available again <laughs> this would be like a perfect situation for Simon Pagano to jump into if Simon Pagano was healthy enough to race which we just don't know. We, 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 we just don't know how healthy he's going to be. Well, by the time preseason testing rolls around, or you know, when he, by the time he's medically cleared to compete, we just don't know. It's you, you can't sign Simon Pagano because right now he's radioactive. So it's it's. Ugh, I, I I don't envy Ed. He's not in an ideal scenario here because there is no, there's no headline option to bring into this team that is likely going to bail you out straight away. Like, I agree. I agree with King, and I agree with Zoe, who's also in our chat. Rasmussen's probably your best option here. Yeah, and that's fine. I think he's fast. I, I, I'm just not sure how fast he is because, well, if you're watching Indy Next a lot this season, I'll, I'll let you in a little secret. It was a mess this year um Christian Rasmussen did the job by kicking on the afterburners late in the season mm. when Hunter McElray had his consistency problems Nolan Siegel had his consistency Duke could not catch a break in the latter half of the season and then it's just like it feels like there's everybody else Bernie Francis was up there in points for for a lot of the time early on just by not crashing the car and uh yeah he to put into perspective, he's not been invited back for next year because his seat's been taken by Miles Rowe. I love that. For I love it for Miles Rowe. I hate it for Eddie Francis Jr., who Ugh. really should get an opportunity at the 500. 
I hope he ends up in something nice later on. I, am, I hope so too, because he, he was a talented guy. And before he got hurt in particular, he was actually looking pretty solid this year in Indy Next. Yeah. And just, he, 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 was, he was never able to get that form back after the wrist injury. Um, it was racing with a plate and a brace on his arm for a good chunk of the, of the year. And like, if you, want, if, if you want my advice, take a punt on Louis Foster. That kid's the real deal. You heard it here first. I talked about it a little bit on the show earlier this year. If you're going to take a punt on a youngster in Indy Next, I think Louis Foster's your dude. Like I, I, I was really impressed by what I saw of him last year in Indy Next. Just needed a... He was, he was horribly unlucky at times, but the man is really, really quick. Um, so one to keep an eye on for Indy Next next yeah, year. I'm always hesitant on making any bets about anyone in Next or Lights back in the day because mm. generally speaking sometimes even the best guy in indie lights is off the pace in indie car it's true you, you never quite know until they're in there but he did do an andretti test a couple of weeks ago and apparently andretti was very impressed with what they saw so i i think i think you're looking at the at the, at the indie next favorite for next year between him and maybe nolan siegel two very very fast dudes right there yeah. keep tabs on that for next year there's a little indie next season review there for you you, 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 you chuck that in as a bonus you're welcome uh quick break before we get into the big boy teams um because next year's calendar did come out last week finally and, uh, and uh boy this one is uh this is a <laughs> This is a strange calendar. I'll try and break it down best I can real quick. So, season starts on March 10th. Street to St. Petersburg, season opener as ever. And as we talked about at the end, at the end of the season of Gunaseka, the brand new Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge will be on March 24th. Remember, that will not be a championship points race. That will purely be for cash. So that'll be on March 24th. Then the series takes a month off. Why is the month break still there? Uh, anyway. I, I, can, I can think of a, an event that was penciled in for uh, first weekend of April, uh, but we'll get into that shortly because in April we're going to Long Beach on the 21st, Barber Motorsports Park on the 28th. Then it's the month of May, May 11th at the road course. The only time we visit the road course this year on May the 11th for the Indianapolis Grand Prix. And of course, the 108th Indianapolis 500 on May 26th, part of Weekend of Classics, Day of mm -hmm. Classics even. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a triple header Day of Classics next year because we found out a couple of weeks ago for next for next year, MotoGP's Italian Grand Prix is also going to be on that day as well. So Mugello, the Monaco Grand Prix in Formula 1, and the 108 Indy 500 all in one day. What, it's no love for the Coke 600? No love for never, the Coke 600. Never any love for the Coke 600. Ever. 500, we're just like, we're tired. If, if you're showing love for Mugello and Charlotte in the same day, then you also love sleep deprivation. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Uh, anyway, we get to June. There are three races in June. Detroit traditionally follows up again the weekend after uh, the Indy 500. That'll be back at the Detroit there uh, on June 2nd. Then Road America is a triple header on June the 9th. Love me some Road America. Yes, my favorite. Also, new addition to the middle of the slot here. June 23rd is where Laguna Seca now sits. That'll be on June 23rd. Then we've got four races in July. Well, 
kind of you'll see what i mean july 7th mid ohio of course then we have the double header at iowa on july 13th and 14th and then we go back to the streets of toronto on july uh 21st then series takes another month break um we'll be back on august the 17th this time it's for the olympics yeah but yes August 17th, you get a race on your birthday at Yay. Worldwide Gateway Motorsports Park Technology Raceway. Good birthday uh, round. And then August 25th, we go to Portland, uh, moving up a bit because King, at long last, finally, finally, we've done it. They said it could have never been done. They said this place was getting knocked over. The Milwaukee Mile is back for a doubleheader on August 31st and September 1st. Oh, man. I, I never thought I'd see the day. And <laughs> I'm be good to my word. I'm going. Yes. I I, I do love that. I, I like... I'm very glad that we got Milwaukee back on. I did. I never saw the point of having two races at Indianapolis's road course. At least mix it up if you're going to do two there. Shame we're losing the NASCAR IndyCar doubleheader for the for weekend, which is a bit of a yeah. shame. But but I'm okay with ex- exchanging that for another oval. In this case, two races at Milwaukee, and of course, season decider as well publicized. Now going to be the streets of Nashville for the season finale on September the fifteenth on nbc now it's the same 17 race calendar 18 if you include the thermal club million dollar challenge i also think they've been quite crafty in putting a lot of their ovals at the back end of the calendar i wonder if that's alex polo related um (laughs) thinking hang on we're, we're making sure we get a decider this time well, <laughs> historically speaking oval races do get higher tv ratings than road course and street races dude and they're going to need it for milwaukee because this is one of the things i want to talk about that's mm. alarming about the schedule it's not the test motor speedways kind of i understand we need a second super speedway race i get that but like where was all this love for texas motor speedway up until two years ago. <laughs> we're, we're, we're motorsport fans. We are very fickle people, RJ O'Connell. Like, uh, apparently so. Like People were out here saying that this isn't what IndyCar should be, that we don't care about single-file short track racing at boring places like Milwaukee when we should have Texas Motor Speedway, a track that is either a processional snooze fest with one lane because they use the wrong kind of traction compound, or it's brainless plate racing at 220 miles an hour that increased the risk of drivers getting hurt or worse. And nobody yeah. wanted, and nobody showed up for it. Nobody showed up when the race. It was good the last couple of years. Paddle Award was putting more effort in promoting this event to the spectators than SMI was. And SMI owns the track. Yeah. King, get me the spatula. Adult size. You got the PLRJ off the ceiling. Um, the, the other thing that's, that worries me is just like, they put a lot of races on USA, which is uh, which is cable. It's on most cable packages, but unlike NBC, you do have to pay to watch it. Mm-hmm. And we now have two races on Peacock, so two streaming exclusive races, uh, including the first race in Milwaukee. And Labor Day weekend may be the best they got, but that's going to have its challenges because the University of Wisconsin football team 
also plays that same weekend. Yeah, that and is, this is a bit that, that really is needs also a big why uh, Milwaukee Race One is on Peacock and not Race Two because uh, that Saturday, opening Saturday, college football weekend, NBC has a TV deal with which big university? Um, Notre Dame, the Big Ten, which will soon be like thirty-two teams. Yep. So at the rate that college football is evolving, so. NBC is showing a Notre Dame game. Uh, USA will likely be showing uh, a Big Ten game, <laughs> which is partly why IndyCar avoids having the season run too far into the fall. Yeah, they 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 they, 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 they tease it while going head to head with football season. Which is, again, still weird to me where they can help avoid it by using some of that one-month gap they insist in having at the end of March. Like, it's it's a very specific issue. It's not that... It's not an issue that people won't watch. It's an issue that the broadcasters rather show something else that more people will watch. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the tough thing. They're, they're not popular enough to own that slot. Yeah, and uh, that was also the issue behind the Texas State, because Texas is losing their uh, fall slot on the NASCAR schedule during the playoffs. And and they were open to having IndyCar run uh, during that fall period in, in late September. Issue being, then that would be the season finale, which can't be a thing due to their contract with Nashville. Yeah, so they decided, so IndyCar decided, all right, we'll give you the same April date. And Texas was like, no, because that puts us too close to our new spring date. And they, and then they just decided to take their ball and go home with it. Yeah, because You know what I'm thinking? Deion Sanders should buy an IndyCar team. Yeah, because <laughs> maybe that'll pop a big rating. Yeah, because I, I think that also brings up a bigger issue where uh, – I, admittedly, IndyCar tried to ignore it the past couple years, but NASCAR is direct competition. They are they NASCAR will do things not in IndyCar's best interest because, again, why should they care? No, your competition. <laughs> you, you you have the leverage. More people watch your series. They only have, have the more tracks, Dre. Right, you know so. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the one thing that IndyCar always seems to ignore when they're punching up or punching down at Formula One. It's like, yeah, look, take that F1 without realizing, uh, what about NASCAR? Uh, 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 <clears throat> um, anyway. Yeah. NASCAR is on that real estate ever since the split. Is, uh, is, uh, they always have. And yeah, yeah scheduling-wise, it's going to be weird going forward because uh, next year is the last year of the contract with Iowa Speedway. And Iowa Uh-oh. is also getting a Cup Series date in the near future. So. It is next year, yeah. Um, that was confirmed a couple of days ago. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. If you put your Iowa, I swear to God. Uh, anyway, <laughs> who, will sh- like, who will peel Joseph Newgarden's corn for him in Iowa if NASCAR ends up taking that track too? <laughs> oh, man. I-, I think it's more of an issue of... Uh, I was one of the places that people don't go to. People around Iowa go to the track, and are they going to be willing to go to both a NASCAR and an IndyCar race? 
Yeah, I, I think I think they'll like it better. I think both options would be better than watching Iowa football. That is true. <laughs> that is that is very true. When, when your, when your in-state football rivalry is literally called El Asico, that's <laughs> <a different thing. laughs> I did not know that. That's brilliant. Uh, right. That was a coin turned by our one-time guest, our other friend Ryan. <laughs> How did I forget? Um, but uh, Right, let's get into part two of our team-by-team breakdown. Next on the list is, oh, God, what a hot mess this is. Rahul Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Uh, what is this team? Honestly. Um, Honestly, not going to lie, pretty good year. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, after, after the 500, it was yeah. great for them. Yeah, like it's this is a very weird year. Okay, so like their oval form was dreadful. They got to the 500. We all saw it. They, they, it didn't get mentioned very much at all. Did you hear Graham Rahal got bumped from the 500? <laughs> <laughs> oh lord! Um, only, we, only a catastrophic injury to a close family friend got him back into that race. Yes, and let's not forget, even with Catherine Leg making it comfortably through in the end, it was still. Uh, the fact that every Rahul Letterman Lanigan starting car's position started with a three, which uh, was, it was not a good sign as to where they were going. Harvey with a miracle final run to, to knock out his own teammate in Graham Rahul in what was overall just a pretty miserable 500. But I wouldn't even necessarily say it was after the 500. I would say it was after Detroit when Rahul fired his own crew chief and got rid of some key staff back half of the year a lot stronger is what i would say review wise yes things did improve but looking forward to next year it should be noted their pace on the ovals did not improve and there are at checks notes more oval races next year there's seven oval races next year now so well, six, because we got rid of Texas. But yes, we've got more ovals next year than last year, and their oval pace is still dreadful. Like, you need oval help. And my nose is, you need oval help yesterday. Um, like, they are dreadful around there, and they need all the help they can get in that regard because they have really struggled. However, if there was one shining bright light to come out of this team, Christian Lungard was incredible this season. Is him. He is him. Like, we gushed about Lingard over the course of this season, and rightly so. His season overall, eighth in the points, two pole positions, made the fast six six times, one in, the, in Toronto, cracked the top 10 for over half the season, average finish 10.5. If you take just the road and street tracks, it goes down to 7.6, which was the fifth best of anybody in the field this year. The only four dudes that were better were Dixon, Polo, Pado, and McLaughlin on road and street tracks this year. Lungard was fifth on the list. He is good. He is very, very good. If he learns how to oval, everybody look out. <laughs> this, this, he is him. If he and the rest of this team learn how to oval, this guy is the future of this team. Good luck retaining him because he's in a contract here next year. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing has got to make that dude a competitive offer to, to even think of having him stick around because there's a lot of other teams that are salivating. Remember, for, is Formula 2 success or lack thereof 
was not down to a lack of talent. I can tell you that much. It is simply a matter of mechachrome quality control. What can yeah. I say? Yeah. We, we know what we saw the times we watched Formula 2. And mm-hmm. another positive sign, Graham Ray Hall has quietly, for the first time since the mid-2010s, beaten the Nepo baby allegations. <laughs> it took him a while, but to be fair to Graham, back half of the year, he was a lot stronger. Got a couple of pole positions, was very unlucky not to win the Gallagher Grand Prix. He led a, a large chunk of that race, was only beaten by an inspired Scott Dixon. Um, and even then, it was only by maybe two car laps by the time it was all said and done. Ray Hall, like... It was actually quite refreshing to see Rahul dejected, but for the right reasons this time, because he was narrowly beaten by arguably the GOAT um, in uh, in one of his greatest drives in order to do it. Um, but it was actually good to see Graham back in something resembling his, his best. Um, because look, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. Rahul sometimes gets a bad rap, I think, because of his attitude that make that people think he's a worse driver than he actually is. At worst, he is a solid pair of hands and has been for a long time. At his best, he was a title contender. We forget that. That was not that long ago where he was the best Honda driver in this in this series. Yeah, when yeah. Honda had a bad universal aero kit. Yeah. yeah, like like Graham was him for a long time. Um you know the team is better when Graham is competitive. And he was a lot more competitive in the back end of the year. Something back to probably two years ago when it was still just a two-car team. Um that's promising. You've got another year of Lungard. Make it count because you've you got to do everything you can to retain him because if he goes, there is not an oven-ready replacement that's going to take yeah, his seat. Yeah, the third car is a mess because despite Harvey's inspired run, he didn't see out the season. They put Connor Daly in for a race and they put Yuri Vips in for two. Vips did nothing to really stand out other than make the round of 12 at Laguna Seca before his race effectively ended. He did nothing really to stand out, but there's also very few people out there on their radar who'd be an improvement. Yeah. That's tough. It's it's a tough break. They've just got to do everything they can to convince him to stay because if, honestly, I'm going to say this now, I think he could be in a Penske in the next 18 months. Kyle Kirkwood's off the table. The talk was that Kirkwood could be the power replacement at Penske. I know Penske likes to hire foreign drivers. I think him at a Penske. Who says no? Any better ideas? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, of all the options available, like, yeah, Kirkwood's off the books, and we'll get into that in the Andretti uh Very review. shortly. Mm, very but, shortly. Uh, yeah. It, it, feels, no. it feels like... Penske's lineup at the moment is very stable until absolutely one certain Australian decides to hang it up, and I'm not sure how much more he's got left. We'll have to we'll get to them later, but um, there is one question mark in that Penske lineup for me. But uh, we'll you could probably see where I'm going with that. But look, 
Christian Lingard is him. How many times on Twitter did I say this year, get that man a car? Yeah, I, I <laughs> for, for this segment, the, the more pertinent question is, should like was the expansion the three cars uh, a mistake or not? I'm starting to think it might have been because that if you look at the third car, that's the one that's the real anchor. Graham was a bit below par overall this year, but not a massive outlier. Lingard was excellent. Jack Harvey, oh, again, we love we love Jack, but man alive, that was a horrible season. I'll say it again. How did Jack Harvey moving on to Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing and up from Meyer Shank work out so terribly for everybody? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. He was you so know, good at Meyer Shank. He was so good there. I thought that's a powerhouse lineup with Ray Hall and Lingard there. This this should have been the free car ticket. And I'm sitting here going, how did it all go so wrong? I, I don't understand. We've seen Jack Harvey. We know he's better than what he was these two years at RLL. 100%. I'm, I'm adamant of it. I, I, I couldn't have been... It feels like his time in pink was a mirage. Because <laughs> it's just like... How did this go so badly? Uh, I, I, I don't, don't understand. But... Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's one of those deals. I don't get it either. This car in 2020 run, we're in part-time, and every time it showed up, it looked quick. I don't get Ugh, it. I don't get it either. You know what else I don't get? Andretti Autosport, a.k.a. Andretti Global, a.k.a. For, at the FIA's newest approved 11th entrant in the Formula One World Championship. We're not talking about the Formula One side of it. We're talking about the IndyCar side of Andretti Global. And... This is interesting. Um, <laughs> what, oh, <laughs> God, what a year. What, what, where do we even start with Andretti? Like, this is another team where it's like, huh? Um, let's, let's start with what we know. Devlin DeFrancesco over two seasons was not it. Not Kyle Kirkwood in, year, in this first year with this team. Exactly as advertised. Oh, yeah. We told you. We all told you, especially King. King. King takes full credit for this one. Like <laughs> Kyle Kirkwood was as good as advertised. Let's not forget, third race in a big boy team, he wins. And that was that was very peaked for Andretti. Let's not forget that day at Long Beach, they were one, two, and four that day. About as good as you get in IndyCar these days. You know, Kirkwood leading Grosjean home. Colton Herter, who generally goes well at Long Beach as well, was fourth. And you thought, Andretti's back. And that, like, it's like, if you ever watch Dragon Ball Z Bridge, it's the moment where Piccolo touches Gohan's shoulder after beating Sal and he goes, Gohan, you've peaked. <laughs> and it's just like... Colton Herter hmm. won back-to-back pulls at Road America Mid-Ohio. That should have been, like, two easy wins. And he comes away from the season... He's 10th in points, but only one podium to show on the entire season, which is less than Romain Grosjean, who we all generally cree after Barber and that second runner-up finish fell off a cliff. It's a very bizarre season. Like, it's... Colton Herter is better than this. And again, like, 
I find it astonishing that Colton has now gone over a year since his last win in this series. He only had one podium the whole year. Like, it, it's it's a strange year for Colton because... I blame those AlphaTauri F1 talks. <laughs> <laughs> he, has ne- he has never been the same since they started hyping him up for that scene. Oh, yeah. It's... He has, I, I think he has lost a step a little bit in terms of consistency, which has not helped. I mean, uh, let me put it to you this way. My colleague at the race, Jack Benyon, who does a, a great job covering IndyCar over there, has literally submitted a column today talking about who's going to be team leader next year between Herter and Kirkwood. Now, as much, as I, Erickson. Now, as much as I love... Like, as I'm a, a fan of Carl Kirkwood and I love Colton Herter, that probably shouldn't be happening for Herter when we all know that Gamebridge is the big sponsor and Herter's in the headline number 26 car. And there's already a valid argument you can make for Kirkwood being the number one driver in this team already. Dude, they put they put Colton Herta's dad, who's not Michael Andretti, but Brian Herta, on a Kirkwood's pit box mid-season. Yeah, they swapped him. Yeah. Which is a big sign because they put a lot of faith in Brian Herter. He's a very critical player in this outfit, Andretti, and they moved him off his own son's car. Brian Herter's big brain got him Indy five got him to led Dan Weldon to his second Indy five hundred, and now it's got Rossi to his it's first. Like, it, the guy's a good strategy. And admittedly, the team tried to spin it as you know. Colton's an adult now who doesn't need to be, you know, walked through this by his dad, despite, you know, everything else. Let's not forget that strategist is what got Kirkwood his second win of the year in Nashville later on in the season. That was a strategy call that got him out in front of Scott McLaughlin, who we all knew is we all know is very fast in Nashville. And Kirkwood came out in front and won that race. Like, you don't move her to off him and put him on Kirkwood's car unless it's for a good reason. They, I, I think they have a lot more faith in Kirkwood going forward than Herter. I think maybe the team, But maybe the question is, are either of them the team leader? Because if you hadn't heard, they got Marcus Erickson. Indy 500 winner Marcus Erickson. It's going to be fascinating to see how he gets on in that team because... Marcus Erickson, and we'll talk about him a little bit more in the, in the Ganassi section at the end of the show. Sixth place in the championship, third year in a row. He's arguably the best floor guy in IndyCar. Andretti probably needs a floor guy more than Chip Ganassi does right now. But the thing with Marcus is, when he was at Schmidt-Peterson, he wasn't very good. Flashes, but not particularly special. Goes to Chip's, goes to Chip's entity is immediately a title contender. Andretti's kind of an in-between sort of platform for him now. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see where he fits in into that Andretti vibe because they need a consistent they need a consistent floor guy. They need a guy that can win you a 500 potentially, and Ericsson has done, very nearly got a second this year, um, literally in some cases. It's going to be very interesting to see where Ericsson fits if he raises Andretti's floor because it feels to me like they need a floor guy. Herter is too erratic. His average finish was 11th this year. That's not good enough. Kirkwood will only get better. He did have a few crazy races of his own, some controversial stewarding calls here and there. He's still a little bit rough. Like there were some incidents like in like in Road America and Toronto where it was like, that was clumsy. But... We all know what Kirkwood's upside is. 
it's huge. Like it's there is a lot to like about about the other two drivers in their seats. Where Marcus is going to be is going to be very intriguing indeed. And then there's another question: Who's in car number four? Is there going to be a car number four? Are, are we are we just going to not talk about the dude who isn't going to be there next year? Well, well yeah. Well, Grosjean. Grosjean. <laughs> yeah, Roman Grosjean led 94 laps on road and street courses. Only six of those came after Barber. Uh, how did it? How did this all go so wrong? How did he arguably perform worse on a on a pound for pound basis than he did at Dale Coin Racing, who still operates out of a little shed in Illinois? I had a theory. I've stuck I've stuck to this theory all year. When he snapped at his team at Indianapolis Road Course One. I think something in the dynamic of that team changed. It was the first weekend after Barber where he was very unlucky not to have won that race. That should really have been... If it wasn't St. Pete, that was the first win at Barber. No question. Um, I think he, he got knocked out in round one in qualifying. He was on camera snapping at his team, and I think something changed. I think the dynamic in that team changed because yeah. I distinctively remember hearing Michael Andretti saying he had a contract offer to extend Grosjean, ready to go, going into the month of May. It got pulled off the table. Sheesh. Something happened in, during the month of May that we don't know about, or I think that got pulled. That's Anyone? my theory. Yeah. I, could be, I, I could be wrong, but that's putting reading the tea leaves, that's the impression that I get. And out of all that, they've lost DHL, a longtime team sponsor, and that has ramifications as well because there's a there's a very publicized indie net driver who also had DHL sponsorship next year, and now she doesn't have a sponsor going into 2024. And what mm. is expected to be a long-term project. And also, about car number four, or 29 in this case, it's whoever writes the biggest check. Stingray, come on down. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for Devlin, we will always have the start of the Gallagher Grand Prix, won't we? <laughs> yeah, there's always that start. And that uh, saved the Freedom 100. Don't look too happy, King. I know you're shedding a tear back there in New York. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, King. King, will it make you feel better if we jump over to Aaron McLaren? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Aaron McLaren. Now, this was meant to be the breakthrough year, wasn't it? This this felt like it was going to be the breakthrough year. You've, you've got a stable team now. We've got Palo Award. We all know he, he's a tremendous talent. He's only grown further into now arguably the most popular driver in IndyCar now. You brought in Alex Rossi. You know, chip on his shoulder, clearly didn't leave Andretti in good terms. Fresh start at McLaren, up and coming good team. You kept Felix on for the vibes. And hey, look, if it doesn't work out, you've got Alex Pelot coming in for 2024, right? You've got plan B if this doesn't if this doesn't if this doesn't work itself out in the end. There's always a plan B. And then Alex Pillow just cracks Zach Brown <laughs> over the back of the over the back of the steel chair. Oh my god! <laughs> and it just 
didn't really... Is it fair to say it just didn't really come together for McLaren this year? It kind of did, but it also kind of didn't at the same time. It was really weird. Like nah, you, you dropped the SP from the name. This is still Smith Peterson through and through. <laughs> Dude, Pat O'Ward oh, could have started this year with back-to-back race wins to open the year, but he had a plenum fire at St. Pete at just the wrong time to let Marcus Erickson through and then loses a tough duel with Joseph Neogarden at Texas. And then not just a word, but the rest of McLaren goes through their entire 2023 season without winning the race. This is what's fascinating to me. Pat Ward cratered at the 500 and then followed that up at Detroit. Back-to-back crashes. Then he never finishes outside the top 10 again. It's really weird because when I wrote about this on the website, by any measure, Palo Award had a brilliant season. Like, he made the... It was the second best qualifier in the field. He made the far six nine times. He had seven podium finishes. Was in the top 10, 14 out of 17 races this year. Fourth in the points. Average finish under eight. One of his... Like, arguably his best season in IndyCar. That's a damn good year. It's a damn good year. Almost cracked 500 points with no double point 500s. It's called it. It's a 500 point season in all but name. And yet, you still get frustrated because of how much he left on the table. It's it. You think if he didn't, if he and you know what, the 500 was of his own making. I stand by this. He had the freshest tires in the field of the leaders. He had seven laps to go. He did not need to make the lunge on Marcus Ericsson that he did. That was reckless driving. He did, it was not very intelligent. And that's the problem I have with Pado. When he's got a bit of the red mist about him, where it's like, if you take him out of his comfort zone a little bit, he makes reckless decisions. Because there was a couple of the ones, like, like like the 500, he panicked when he saw Polo was going to lap him in, in Detroit and he put it in the wall there as well. And the quarterfinal sessions like Mid-Ohio and Laguna Seca, where he, he, he lost a bit of his discipline in his head and he made mistakes. And that's something that I think Pato needs to iron out a little bit. And it, if it sounds like I'm being harsh, I am. <laughs> but only because I know how good Pato Award can be. I call him a free tool driver for a reason. He can win anything. And I do mean anything. He is that good. Though I, I think that's the key problem. No wins this year. And how did he go winless? <laughs> how did how? this whole team go winless? How? You have Pato Award and Alex Rossi, and you went winless on the year. <sighs> and I think, obviously, uh, people refer to McLaren as a big team, and I always, you know, pump the brakes. For me to be a big team, you need to either win the series championship or win the Indianapolis 500. And even when you're talking about the series championship, the way the points scale, you could do well by consistently finishing high, but you can't win the championship unless you win at least one race by the way the points scale. Because it's it's a 10-point gap between first and second. Between second and fifth is a 10-point gap. Between 5th and 10th is another 10-point gap, and between 10th and 20th is another 10-point gap. You gain exponentially more points, but just by winning. Yeah, it it would have helped. He finished second four times this year, like, which... Again, one of like one of them was completely just sheer rotten luck to have a plenum fire, um, how he did in St. Pete, but... 
yeah, it's <laughs> Pato is one of these. He is a frustrating driver to root for because not because of anything he does on or off the track. Because he's a, he's a fantastic driver. It's yeah. just he just hasn't put together the full potential season that I know he's got. Alex yeah. Polo is the final evolution of what Pato Award is right now. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's that's spot on. Alexander Ross, um, just you know, looking through all this, Alexander Rossi uh, got a podium at the Indy Grand Prix in May. Uh, some top five finishes kind of saved McLaren's bacon by at least getting them one car in the top five, but otherwise, just you know. I'm, Nothing I'm, spectacular. I'm fed up of Alex Rossi, and I'm, I'm tired <laughs> of pretending that I'm not fed up of Alex Rossi. It's been four years of mediocrity now. Like, like, where is where's 2019 Alex Rossi? Where where did he go? Oh man, <laughs> where, where did he go? I I I need to, I need to understand what happened to him because I'm sorry, we've seen what Alex Rossi can do in an Indy car. He was a title contender for a good couple of seasons. He was only beaten by the series' very, very best, Joseph and, and Scott Dixon. He's not a bottom end of the top 10 guy, and yet he has been for three years now. I'm, I'm honestly stunned more people haven't called him out on this. Because, Maybe because they think... Because, because like, he's all... looking at the standings, his move on paper is still a win. He finished ahead of all the Andretti drivers. Yo, that's crazy, though. He did, he did. By one spot, he beat all... It's an upswing. Barely. (laughs) But, uh... By by the standards of McLaren, it's not a bad season. On paper, it's not a bad season. But we know Alex Rossi is capable of better. And I don't know why he doesn't get more criticism for it. Is is it because of the popularity? Is it because of the podcast? I don't even think it... I don't even know if Rossi's that popular Yeah, I think it's less of the popularity, more of this generally is just where McLaren is. Dude, that's the other thing that you see a better baseline now of what McLaren is really right now. Is that it? That's that's one of the things I wanted to get to. Is just like yes, McLaren has closed the gap to Andretti Autosport, but that's not because McLaren took a drastic leap forward. It's like in college football how we've had the Power Five conferences and the Group of Five conferences that sit beneath it, and now it's evolving to a Power Two and everybody else, and that's what IndyCar is right now. You have a Power Two and it's not the, it's more that Andretti Global fell to the level of McLaren that both then both these teams closed the gap. Yep. Yeah. I hope that changes soon. I it is. I mean, and again, we talked a little bit about Felix earlier as well. Twelfth in the points, just wasn't there in the end. I, I felt bad for Felix to a degree as well yeah. because he was the full guy when the Alex Polo rumors started swirling over a year ago now, when they first came up, we all knew the elephant in the room was going to be Felix because they'd already signed Alex Rossi. They'd already confirmed by the time the Polo rumors had come around that, oh yeah, Rossi's coming next year. So we all knew that it was going to be Felix's seat that was going to get chopped if it was going to be for Polo. And Zach Um, Zach Brown put out that that little, you know, soften the blow, maybe we'll have a fourth car. (laughs) 
Maybe we'll sign Marcus Ericsson. (laughs) It's hard not to feel a bit bad for Felix, given he was clearly in a toxic environment in in the sense of... You got jerked around for two whole years, man. That's not cool. It's not nice. It's on any human level, that shit. And, you know, I I don't know how much of an an effect it had on his driving. Only he knows the real answer to that. But uh, that can't be nice, knowing that you're always going to be the full guy um if you if you or if you don't sign alex polo or not in the end and now he's gone altogether. um but they bring, they've brought in david malukas and like i said gonna be very curious to see where malukas fits into this because again you've got Pato, incredibly high ceiling guy has punched above his weight for mclaren for the last two or three years and now you've got alex rossi that maybe is more of the baseline of what this team is at where will Malukas fit into that? Because that's going to be interesting. Because Malukas, I think, is good, but I also think he's very raw still. And I'm curious to see how that turns out. Yeah. If, if anything gives me pause, he made Kyle Kirkwood work harder for that Indy Nets title than I think anybody would have ever expected. Mm. Uh, now let's get to the big two. Tim Penske, Joseph Newgarden, Scott McLaughlin, Will Power. Uh, another good season. And they got one of the two big trophies, Joseph Newgarden. Finally, this is the moment where the pain ended. But at what cost? I joked in my season review that uh, there is a hidden cave under the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that Roger Penske tapped into, where inside a safe that's barricaded with four padlocks, there is a monkey's paw with one finger uncurled, and Roger said, give me one more 500, and the monkey's paw's final finger curls in. (laughs) I think he won the 500, but at what cost? In the sense of, he never really had a title contender this year. Not really. Like, New Garden was vaguely outside with about five races left, but again, he just... the, The one time he didn't win an oval. Yeah. I think end of the season. Yeah, that was the nail in the coffin. Where that it wasn't just gateway, but it, it really showed that it took that much just to be in the picture in the first. Place. It was the road. In, it was the road in street course form. Yeah. And if you watched only IndyCar this season, and I don't know if I'm just repeating myself. If you only watched IndyCar this season, you think that Joseph Newgarden must have been a NASCAR driver who just started out in IndyCar, or that he was an original from the old Indy Racing League who only drove ovals because, like, I look at his road and street course form. He only led 35 laps on road and street courses, and only only (laughs) 27 of those were at Long Beach. I need to point out, I was keeping track of this all year, and I mentioned it on the show a couple of times. Joseph Newgarn's average road and street course finish this year was 11th. 11th. Solid for a lot of teams, not for Penske, and not by his standards either. Joseph Newgarden is arguably the best driver in IndyCar post-reunification, and he had an average finish this year of 9.5, despite four wins. It is the greatest disappointing season of all time because after he cratered after the Brickyard Grand Prix with three finishes outside the top funny. Technically, one retirement uh, among them, but you know what I mean. It dropped mm. him from second in points to fifth on the final day of the season. Yeah, Wor- worst New Garden season on overall standing since 2018. 
Because, oh. <sighs> yeah, because I think realistic, realistically talking in terms of the title picture, there was only, like, maybe Scott Dixon where you could look at and say, if you picked up a couple more points here or there, you could have won the championship. Everyone else, including New Garden, it's like you had to pick up more wins to be in contention. It's 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 so weird. He he dominant. He, he like if he finishes a safe third in Gateway, his oval average finish is a sickening in one point seven five, and every, and everything else is basically a midfield finishing role for the year. It's it's such a bizarre season for New Garden. But then you can always just whack an asterisk on the end and say, buddy won the 500, so who cares? <laughs> That's right. It's right. like I talked about with Elio, greatest driver that never won a serious title, but the four Indy 500 wins. Yeah. You forget that Joseph's won 27 of these things by now. Like if You forget still- that he won a million-dollar bonus for winning on every discipline an IndyCar race goes to. Yeah. Yeah, did that last year. Like, New Garden is... So good. It's why we're kind of being harsh here because he, I've said it before. The only guy in the IndyCar the last five years has been as good as him has been Scott Dixon. That's probably it um, on that list. And, and even Dixon is debatable and compared to New Garden since yeah. since reunification. It, it, it also feels mental. weird that you know all the focus is on New Garden, considering that one of his teammates finished higher than him in the standings. It doesn't feel like it. Mm. Dre, I'm, I'm, I regret to inform you that a second very fast guy from New Zealand named Scott has become a full-time fixture at the top of the table. Scott McLaughlin got the win at Barber, hard-fought win, and well, yes, he didn't win after that. He clutched out third in the championship never finished lower than ninth after the Indianapolis 500. Loki had a fantastic season. I saw some stats on this. He was the best quarterfier in IndyCar after Detroit in the second half of the season, and his average finish after that was 5.6. McLaughlin was outstanding the second half of the year, and no one talked about it because of probably Pelot's dominance and then Dixon ending the year white hot. But McLaughlin debatably, might be Penske's best driver right now. The experiment worked. Like, McLaughlin, it's almost kind of funny. I said in my season review, if you put together the McLaughlin of last year and the McLaughlin of this year and put them together, you'd have a championship-level season. Like, he, he he didn't have that ultimate upside of last year where he won three times and took the title fight all the way to the end. But he did develop a lot of consistency this year. Just fantastic. He was in the mix, in the top 10, pretty much all season long. I I remember saying the Laguna Seca, and King said exactly what I said at the end of Laguna Seca. It didn't feel like McLaughlin was the best Penske this year. But when you actually look at the numbers and look a little closer, you realize McLaughlin was just there. All year long, he was in the mix, in, in contention, in a round, just racked up top tens. He did what Marcus Ericsson tended to do. That, what you're seeing, in basically, is a really good Ericsson season. <laughs> dude, dude, dude. Yeah, to add to that consistency, I mentioned it before. In the, in the three years that Scott McLaughlin has been racing full-time, he has one retirement. 
Wow. The second, the 2022 Indy 500 when he crashed out of it. He needs a big 500. It's the only thing that he's really missing now at this point because he's done just about everything else at this point in this series. Um, he's put together title campaigns. He's shown he can be a consistent driver. He's now he, he can win on any discipline, as far as I'm concerned. Because you, you forget he's an oval. He's an excellent oval racer. Yeah, he like. was better at ovals before he was excellent at road and street courses in this game. Yeah, he's a complete outlier. He was good at that first. Um, normally, it's the other way round. Um, and yeah, like right now, McLaughlin on current form is the best driver in a Penske right now. It's kind of funny how these things turn out in the end. But he was he was excellent this season. Um, if he could if he could peak a little bit more next year, I think he's I think he's got something that, that yeah. potentially could challenge for the title. It's worth talking tough a little bit about. Yeah, tough title defense for Will Power. Yeah, I mean, I want to make this point. If you watched 100 Days to Windy, and let's be honest, not many of you actually did, given how the TV ratings went down. There is an entire episode in there dedicated to Will Power, and he nearly lost his wife, Liz, this earlier this year. Mm-hmm. It was complications from a safe from a safe infection, and being an MMA fan, I, I know for a fact people have died of safe infections. They are very, very nasty if you hit complications with them. Um, you can clearly tell by watching interviews, seeing how he got down on track and off track. I don't think Will's head was fully in it this season. I, yeah. And it's understandable because if you watch 100 Days to Indy, you could tell just how prominent a role Liz plays in his racing life. She's there every weekend. She's a very calming influence, which is amazing given how much he chews bottles. Uh, it's like she takes Will's stress for him. It's, it's great. Um, and even then, so sometimes, sometimes it spills over. But um, just you can clearly tell that power was not himself this year and i i think that i i'm not using that as a pass for his subpar season by his standards but i think it's important to note that um yeah absolutely and i i hope it's not i hope what we're seeing is not like you know the end of willpower as a great indycar driver <sighs> man i just I, I didn't even think about that going forward because admittedly i didn't watch 100 days to indy that much because nobody's because I, I wasn't going out of my way to look for it. Admittedly. No. I was just like all laser locked in the races. I, I I was in Discord calls when Zoe was sharing episodes, and I watched the Willpower episode. It look it, it for me. It's the if there's one episode of 100 Days to Indy that's worth watching, it's that one in my opinion because that is a genuine you know sort of heart heartstring pulling look at what makes a racing driver tick. Yeah, and that's something it, that it also was fascinating. Yeah. And it humanizes a driver that we all think is just like a total rageaholic. It's what people think of him for like the last like decade of his career. Yeah, and there's, and I promise you, if you watch that episode, you will see a different side of Will that I don't think we get to see very often. Um, there's a lot of deep love for his wife and, and, and his family. And like I said, if, if, you, if you nearly lost a loved one like that, Ooh, and then you got to get in a race car and drive it at 200 miles an hour. Uh, yeah, I mean, that can do a number on anybody. Um, we're human after all. So I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not using that as a total pass for what was a, 
a subpar year by power standards, but I think it's important to acknowledge that at least. And, and I'd say that may be a factor because I remember watching him after he, after Laguna Seca at the season's end and inter- him being interviewed. And it was almost like relief that the season was over in that sense. And he even literally said, I'm happy to have my health. It was pretty obvious what he was talking about in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So, again, we, we love Will. We do wish him nothing but the best, and obviously Liz as well, of course. And, you know, I, I would like to see him back at something near his best. Um, I, I, I hope it's not, you know, the first signs of decline. You are talking about a 42-year-old here. You know, it, yeah. it is. he is on the, the, the twilight zone of his career by most people's standards. Um, which is kind of funny given we're about to talk about Chip Ganassi in a moment, but um, <laughs> because one man there is ageless, and we'll get to him very, very shortly. Chip Ganassi racing. My God. <laughs> Where do we start here? Um, Marcus Armstrong run Rookie of the Year without running every race. I think that was uh, indicative of the equipment gap between Armstrong at Ganassi and everybody else in the race. Um, also, he was genuinely pretty good. Led some laps at Road America. Was unlucky not to have uh, better results than he ended up doing. Didn't make the podium, which surprised me. The Road America was the one to me. He was running third in that race on leader's pace. And then he was parked by chip strategy-wise to hedge his bets, depending on cautions. And it Armstrong got screwed that day. And the other time he ran really well, I remember, was Portland, where he was running seventh, and then he had the bad pit stop. Uh-huh. Um, the kid's fast. Mate, like, no question. I'm like, he's coming to IndyCar straight away and been in the top 10 consistently, roughly in that sort of top 10 ballpark. Yeah, that's, King, pretty, that's pretty good he, going. King, he earned that contract extension. And next year for New Jersey is going to be interesting because they're not going to have Marcus Harrison. They are going to have Marcus Armstrong. And then they're going to add Linus Lundquist and Kiffin Simpson. What a uh, combination. (laughs) Wow. Where do you start? Um, I always just think back to Linus Lundquist was set to drive an LMP3 to Road America until he got the car from call from Meyer Shank to replace Simon for a couple rounds. And he crushed it. At the Brickyard Grand Prix, he put in a performance at finishing 12th so good that Chip was just like, we need this dude on the books. (laughs) Linus Lundquist watched everybody everybody passing up for a seat this year and now he's going to make it everybody's problem (laughs) the first thing I said when that deal was confirmed was what have you done IndyCar (laughs) what have you done you gave you you let Chip take a clear in road and was like I want him and I'm just like if if Chip is making a beeline for a guy, he has to have seen something. Yes, like, especially because these deals make Ganassi a full time five car team next season. Mm. Yeah, we forgot. He, yeah, like Kiffin Simpson is going to be full time, and hey, if his upside somehow shines through in IndyCar more than it did in three mediocre years of Indy Nets. You have a fully funded seat filled with Cayman Islands money that's just like, hey, it pays for itself, and the guy's reasonably fast. Yeah, I hope it works out because he's been he's been great in sports cars, but just not good in Indy Next. 
He's extremely raw, and I think this is still two years early for Kiffin, to be honest. Um, but look, if he's paying for his own seat, fair enough. Run him, see what you got. You know, like hopefully, maybe sometimes baptism by fire helps these dudes. Sometimes it doesn't. You just got to wait and see. Not sure about how I feel about that one. Not sure how I feel about. I mean, Linus Lundqvist is. I mean, it's no coincidence he walked into Mayor Shank and was immediately the best thing about them all year, um, yeah. like by a country mile. And that's no disrespect to Simon and, and Helio, but he came into that team and was fast straight away, without any question. Was running eleventh in Nashville and then he sadly put it in the wall with ten to go, but. The kid is quick, like yeah. very quick. That's more than obvious. I, the story goes, he saw him finish top in Indianapolis and was like, I want him. Um, <laughs> and then apparently wrote him a check that, 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 that Mayor Shank couldn't match. It was just like, there you go. <laughs> Which is amazing given this is the man that didn't want to pay up for Marcus Erickson until the very last minute. And then it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Erickson had another solid season. Started off the year with a win at St. Pete. Arguably could have been a two-time Indy Fapples 500 winner by the end of it. Mm. Uh, a lot of top tens. Mm. Again, he's the best floor guy, and he's gotten better with more experience. He is not the Marcus Erickson that people remember from F1. I'll say I do find it hilarious that the floor guy almost won the Indianapolis 502 years in a row. <laughs> it's amazing how these things turn out. Like, dude, there it's was amazing. more. There was more hype about Jimmy Johnson going in that 500 that he won than Marcus Erickson. And I, I mentioned this: Erickson was in the top ten in every single practice session for no toe speed, and nobody gave him a prayer last year. And then he goes and wins the damn thing and holds off Palo Award to do it on the final lap. And this time he had to face Joseph Newgarden, who probably had flames coming off his pupils, thinking Joseph's finally going to win one of these damn things. Because we all know, Joseph damn near drove into the pit lane on that final corner. Uh, like, <laughs> you would have to wrestle that ball water off his cold, dead fingers <laughs> on that one. Marcus Erickson is really good. He's a really, really good driver. But... They're going to miss him. I don't know. The thing is... This is the thing, right, with Marcus. It's not that he's not really good, because he is. But is he what Chip needs? That's the thing. We've got Dixon and you've got Polo. It's like it's like the Chicago Bears when they drafted Devin Hester. It's like you took him in the third round. You would never take a kick or punt returner in round three, but they did because they just won a Super Bowl or just got close to a Super Bowl, and they had a team that didn't have any real weaknesses. So they took a luxury option. They took a third they took a third round pick on a kick return. And don't get me wrong, Devin Hester turned out to be pretty special. <laughs> but um, you see what I'm getting at here. It's like, do you need a floor guy that badly when you chip? Not That's really. Cool. Not if Scott Dixon keeps driving like this. Scott Dixon is still him. Outside of, outside of getting shoved in the tire barriers at Long Beach, Scott Dixon's season was perfect. <laughs> He's 43 years old. 
He's 43. And Scott Dixon. Look, okay, perspective. I wrote my season review on it. I gave Dixon a 10 out of 10 score. His season was virtually flawless. He had 578 points. He won three races. He finished in the top seven every race except Long Beach where he was taken out. Had an average finish of 5.4. 5.4 in his age 43 season. He got blown out in the title race. What? <sighs> Does Alex Polo was just on another in another universe. I counted up. Alex Polo on Roden Street courses led 320 laps. If you just take the stretch in the summer where he won four out of five of those races, his 186 laps led still would have been more than second place Scott McLaughlin with 115 laps led on Roden Street courses. And oh, by the way, just in case you think Alex Polo is a one-dimensional driver, he was one pit lane incident away from winning this year's Indianapolis 500. Oh, by the way, he also reset the qualifying, <laughs> the pole qualifying record at the 500 that Scott Bitson broke last year. Yeah, he was he was off the charts. Like, like we, we 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 watched that 500 pole run from Dixon last year. We we I fell off my chair, literally fell off my chair watching it. King can attest to this. Um, Polo had the greatest qualifying run in 500 history. It's it's just like again, I'll say this one more time. Scott Dixon won three races, had an average finish of 5.4 and was 7th in 16th of the 16 out of 17 races or better, he lost the title by 78 points. <laughs> How? Alex Polo's season is unfathomably good. It is unheard of. I said it, I said it after Laguna Seca. It's the greatest IndyCar season I've ever seen. Has, any, has, has anybody seen anything like that? Not not since reunification. No, this is the best season since reunification. It might arguably be the best season in a unified American Open Wheel Racing League. When you consider just how engineered IndyCar is to ensure that this doesn't happen. Like, yes, we can talk about the fact that, like, generally speaking, Ganassi and Penske drivers win the championship most of the time. We get that, we understand that. But it's just like, even then, those teams still have strong intra-team competition. Alex Pillow became the first driver to clinch the title round early since Sebastian Bourdais on a string of four in a row in the last years of Champ Car. At five podiums, ten, five wins, ten podium finishes, two poles, one of them being the 500, Every single race in the series, 8-4 better, and only a handful of points off Dixon's all-time scoring record, which had two double-point rounds in it. <gasps> Average finish, 3.7. There is a reason why we were wondering why this dude wanted to leave Ganassi for McLaren, or why his old management wanted him to leave Ganassi for McLaren. He's Spanish Dario! <sighs> What is this man? He's, he's won two titles in three years. The first one was incredible. This is off the scale. King, King, he's 26 years old. He's going to have more opportunities to keep doing this if he wants them. 
Yeah, he's 26 years old, meaning he can do this for the next 15 years. <laughs> His runner-up is 17 years older than him. And Dixon, by all accounts, had a championship-level season. Yeah. Comfortably. Mm. Kevin Simpson wasn't born when Scott Dixon joined Ganassi in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> We've gushed about it so much on this show enough. And funnily enough, as we mentioned this, there was some breaking news that has come through in the last 10 minutes. Apparently, McLaren are now claiming they're trying to seek $23 million at least in damages from Alex Polo for him breaking that contract. Polo, you silly boy. You, oh. you are lucky you're so good, honestly. <laughs> you're, you're lucky Chip loves you enough to want to keep him around. And, and probably lucky enough that if you listen to certain rumors through the grapevine, that a certain yellow and red courier is wanting to help ease that blow a little bit. Look, just look, we'll, we'll join your team. We'll slip you a check early. Keep that man on board. Uh, basically, like, that's the rumor. The rumor is it's basically here's a check. Keep him on board. Do what you need to do, basically. And can you blame them? He just he absolutely slaughtered the the most arguably world class field in single seater racing. Yeah, there are six or seven dudes who can win a Grand Prix at will in IndyCar comfortably, like. Pano Award, Scott McLaughlin, Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, Marcus Ericsson's put together title campaigns. These are all incredible drivers. Polo turned them into pillars of salt. It's just on a different level. Like, I want to see more of this in 2024. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see something like this again, but he's the guy that can do it. <sighs> Two IndyCar titles in three years. One was one was good. Like, there was nothing that summed up that that title fight more than, and I think RJ might remember this. Do you remember? I was sorry to mention it. Race two in Iowa, Joseph Newgarden wins that race to do the double in Iowa. Right, yeah. gets out of the car, looks behind him, sees Alex Polo is finished in third, and his face just dropped. Yeah, that's uh, that that was that was it. That was when I knew that Alex Polo was going to put together one of the greatest seasons in the history of American open wheel racing, when you consider the context, when you consider the level of play from top to bottom in the IndyCar series, this was outstanding. It's it, it, it was Dwight from the office. He just turns around and just goes, fuck. It's the, hi, I'm here too, by the way. And you could almost tell that Joseph's brain said, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> like, it was just, and that's when you, because Ganassi has not been good at short ovals traditionally. They're not a short oval team. They never really have been. And he got a podium there too. And that's when everybody just knew, yeah, it's over. <laughs> If he's finishing third, if he's finishing third at Iowa, forget it. Cancel Christmas. It's over. Just, just, just forget it. And that's exactly what happened, because Polo didn't give anybody any room to breathe, and that, and that was with Dixon. Like Dixon went thermonuclear in the final four rounds of the season, and it didn't matter. <laughs> like we were like, is Dixon still got the upside? Is Dixon still got it? He goes and wins three out of the last four. And it just did not matter. <laughs> That's how good Alex Polo is. Oh my god! Before we get out of here, I would talk about some of the extra peripheral things, like race of the year. It's it was clearly Texas. I don't think there's any argument for that, really, is there? What took you so long, Texas Motor Speedway? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Uh, do we want to talk about predictions? Because, man, we had a rough time with those. We did have a rough time with those. Um, it, it wasn't great. I know I picked McLaughlin for the title, and <laughs> like that kind of said it all, really. Um, I'm going to pull up the list in front of me here. I think I've got it yeah. on. Uh, I picked Joseph Newgarden to win the championship and not the 500, and my my it, my hunch was off. Uh, Cam, of course, will will rightfully brag that he was the only one that had foresight to predict that Alex below. In, in what we were expecting to be a lame duck year, would go on and win the championship anyway. Yeah, I've got, I've got the full table in front of me here. Um, Rookie of the year, I, I said Stingray Rob. That went well. Um, RJ and Cam both went for Canapino. It was actually Marcus Armstrong in the end. We didn't, we didn't think Armstrong could make up those points in the races he missed. Yep, and he did. And he did. Fair play to him. He was, he was excellent when he needed to be. 500 winner, me and RJ both said Pado. Cam said Alex Polo. It ended up being Joseph Newgarden. Of course, this was the year Newgarden finally put it all together on the 500. Of Is course. this the moment where the pain ends? The best 500 were one off. Congratulations to RJ and Cam that got it on the nose. It was Takuma Sato who finished seventh in the end. I said Tony Kanan. Um, Kanan was 16th. Nasty equipment, baby. Ganassi equipment. Now that's new sport. That's new McLaren era McLaren sporting director Tony Kanan. Yes. Yeah. Totally love to do with that partnership. No. Um, 500 pole. Me and Cam both said Dixon. RJ said Colton Herter. That didn't go to plan. Um, Dixon was good, just uh, not superhuman like the front row was. That all went over 234 miles an hour, um, as you do. Um, Indy next winner. Me and Cam both said Hunter McElray. He was runner-up. RJ said Nolan Siegel. He was third. It ended up being, of course, Christian Rasmussen. Um, most improved was an interesting one. Cam got it on the nose. It was Carl Kirkwood. Up 13 spots in the championship from last year. I think that was a little bit unfair, given that he was in a fight last year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> personally, but I, I think he might have gained the rules a little bit on that one. But uh, I had Malukas. He actually finished one position worse than he did last year. Um, and RJ had kind of my lot, who ended up being plus four on last year, 20th to yeah. 16th. Um, funnily enough, I can hang my hat on one thing. Over or under seven and a half winners, both RJ and Cam said over, I said under, and I hit it because we only had seven different winners in IndyCar this year. So, yes, I got one. <laughs> I'm hanging my hat on that. Um, and, of course, the championship winner, RJ said Joseph. I said Scott McLaughlin, who was third, and Cam said Alex Pillow. Um, and of course, Polo, of course, would go on to win the Aster Cup. So, congrats to Cameron Buckley. I'll, I'll accept the trophy <laughs> on his behalf. Yeah, so you could get RJ, like, like King will take the trophy on Cameron's behalf. It's going to be on. <sighs> Here we go. It's going to be. I, pre I, pre I present this trophy to you. Um, you know, you've, you've done it. You've done it. We, we all told you that Alex Polo was going to be this good. We, we tried to tell you. Most people wouldn't listen to us. It took Dre some convincing, but now we all believe. I'm a believer. Alex Polo is him. An exciting time for IndyCar next year. I mean, as it stands, we're looking at 28 full-time cars next year, as it stands, um, with Chip Ganassi going to five and no no talk of anybody downsizing. Maybe Andretti does. We'll have to wait and see. But we're looking at 28 full-time hybrid IndyCars next year. 
That's right. That's as, long as, as long as the testing still continues to go on schedule, these cars will be hybridized. I swear to God, if they're not hybrid next year, pull the series uh, straight up. <laughs> we will see how we go. But uh, gentlemen, before we get out of here, because we just crossed the two-hour mark overall. Uh, yeah, she's we got a, we were spending a lot. People say we hate IndyCar here on this podcast. Oh, we love no, it. We, we love it. We, we just wish we, we just want it to be better, you know. So, like King, overall vibes on IndyCar going into twenty twenty four before we get out of here. Uh, vibes are good. I know a lot of people have problems with schedule. A lot of people don't like the idea of having a, uh, I can't say all star race, but million dollar exhibition at a country club. But it's an all star race. Call it what it is. It's <laughs> not an all star race if everyone's in it. <laughs> but not everybody makes the main event. It's. It's kind of an all-star race. As long as not putting any roll hoops down, um, you know, to, to, to win it twice like Ryan Blaney did uh, this year. Besides that, but, I'd uh, say, but overall, vibes for IndyCar are good. But re we're reaching a very pivotal point where a couple of seemingly small decisions will heavily impact IndyCar's future. I'm begging you to get out of that Motorsport Games deal, Mark Miles. I swear <laughs> to God, please get out of that Motorsport Games deal. What, what's, what's your vibe check out then, RJ? Um, this was another fantastic season of IndyCar racing where we had uh, someone break through in a series that is engineered around parody to put together one of the true dominant campaigns. And I, and I wish, like, sometimes... Watching IndyCar frustrates me because there's so much crazy-ass discourse about who's watching it, who's not watching it, you know, how the drivers conduct themselves on and off the track, their personalities, all that stuff, even though they got personalities. I love watching this series, man. It's it's always fun to sit back and watch these cars tear it up around road courses, street courses, and ovals. Yeah, it's... Uh... If it, it, it's still the best single-seater racing in the world, in my humble opinion. Given that this is a series that is all built around com competitiveness and and specifically not for what Alex Polo to do and what he actually ended up doing, it was a pretty damn good season by all accounts. It was still very entertaining. Dominance can still be fun in the right circumstances and in the right context. Um, Texas was an all-time classic. Go out of your way to see if you haven't already. A couple of other really good races in there. Detroit was just the right light, just just the right degree of chaos for a really fun race. Um, just some really, really good action in there still. I'm intrigued to see how the hybrids get along. I think the 100 roads to Indy is a sh 100 days to Indy was a shame because I think there was a, there's, a, there's potential in that format. I think how they went about it probably wasn't ideal. Um, I think they need to focus more on the racing as opposed to the, the driver's personalities, which is weird given I was very praiseful of the willpower episode, but your biggest selling point is your racing. Build it around that because it's excellent. Yeah, I would say You're while personality is important, you're a sporting product first. You're you're trying to get people to watch the races. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go the other way from what DTS is doing right now because DTS wants it to be rich boy reality TV drama. Your series' best selling point is your racing. You're a sport first. Like, don't get me wrong. 
some of the episodes on the drivers were genuinely very good. Like I said, the Willpower episode is one that I would absolutely recommend watching. But there's potential there. Yeah. And look, just the, you're you're not gonna want to you're not gonna care about the drivers' personalities unless you care about the racing first. That is step two. <sighs> absolutely, I, I've got an idea. So there's this pop singer, right? You know, she sells out a bunch of different concerts. So hang on. Are you suggesting we get Parawa Wall to start dating Taylor Swift? Oh, man. Who was it? Was it? I'm, not, I'm not not saying that that's the case, that this could be a magic bullet. Like, who, who tweeted that, here. you know, it was the fault of every racing driver for letting the industry down by failing to woo Taylor Swift over the past decade? <laughs> <laughs> we had a Swifty car king a few years back with Tony Kanaan driving it. We, we failed. We as an entity failed, but no. I mean, despite all that, it was still the most watched IndyCar season on TV in twelve years. That is absolutely a step in the right direction. Please keep this up. When knowing that you got less free air races, please keep something like this up. Yeah, like all things considered, it was a damn good TV season, especially given that you know the last round was a was was a donkey of a race for obvious reasons. The season was already over. And the fact that you had a couple of rounds compete with football, a couple more that were, you know, that were not on, you know, free-to-wear television due to other sports. It was a damn good season for TV. Keep up, keep the pressure up. Keep throwing money into that marketing pot and seeing what sticks. Because it worked this year. You did good this year. There's more coming and you need... Uh, King put it in our Discord server, if he, does, if he doesn't mind me borrowing his quote on this one. Sale GP still gets 2 million viewers a race on free-to-wear TV. You've got to be doing better than the boats. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Like, that that should be the target. Aim for 2 mil rather than 1.2. Yeah, as it stands right now, in terms of viewership, IndyCar is on par with the NASCAR Xfinity series. Mm. Which, mm. again, NASCAR's second division. Right. Exactly. So there's it's a step in the right direction, but more is needed, is what I would say. Uh, but look, overall, the vibes are good. The racing is good. What you're trying, I could see the promise in it, and hopefully you can build it. I'm, again, I'm curious to see how the hybrids get on. You're going to have likely 28 cars next year. It's going to be fascinating to see how that all comes together. But great IndyCar season. Uh, and before we go, sincere thanks to everyone that's listened in to us over the over this season as ever much appreciated thank you for your service and your time as ever we'll be back with more indycar discourse god in february that unless alex polo ends up getting sued for a bucket load of money and it's worth an entire podcast we'll have to wait and see but uh uh from me dre harrison from rj o'connell from ryan ericking and of course cam buckley over the course of 2023 thank you very much for listening to our indycar coverage this year We'll be back with more of that in February for our 2024 season preview. Podcast-wise, in general, we'll be back for Formula One in Qatar next week. Max Verstappen only needs three more points to clinch his third world title, which we'll probably get during the fucking sprint on a Saturday, as you do. Um, What a weird time to be alive. But uh, yes, Qatar next weekend. Hope you enjoy that. Until then, sayonara. Later, y'all. I'll see you at the Speedway this weekend if you're watching it. Come to the Indianapolis 8-Hour because that's another event that needs spectators at it. Yeah, and I'll be at uh, Petite next week. Yo, me too! Let's go!
lucky bastards. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>